Just a few quick things before we jump into our message today. I wanted to express my heartfelt thanks for all of you who helped with the cleaning day yesterday and those of you who helped us move our stuff. It's much appreciated that you put in the hard work and the place looks great. We're getting ready for fall, so thank you. A couple other quick things before we get going with it. There will be some more opportunities to worship our Lord Jesus here coming up. You'll hear more information about this in the days to come, but we will be launching, if you like the format of this service, acoustic guitar in the chapel, very relaxed, family atmosphere, we'll be launching a 6 p.m. worship service on Sunday evenings here starting in September, so September 2nd. A lot of, you're all here now, but at times people scheduled won't allow them to make it to worship, and especially with kids with sports, etc., we are calling it worship family style because we, are, after all, are the family of God. Also, Wednesday mornings after our Lutheran Difference Bible study, we'll be resuming, as we've done for years here, uh, the Office of Daily Prayer on Wednesday to pray for their prayer requests on our list every week and to make special prayers for uh, people in our lives. John says, when many of his disciples heard this, they said... This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Do you sometimes wish that Christianity uh, was a little bit more marketable? Maybe you've had one of those conversations with one of your friends outside of the Christian faith. Or maybe you have brought a friend to church with you and cringed at all of the things that you're worried about confusing them or offending them. We believe that the Christian faith is true, but doesn't it seem sometimes like it's a little bit difficult to come into Christianity from the outside? And that is to say nothing of the denominationally specific jargon that would totally confuse someone. Really, it's a miracle that anyone becomes a Christian at all, yourselves included. I really mean that. It is a miracle. There are so many obstacles to faith. I was speaking with a colleague on Friday about one of the classes he teaches at one of our church bodies, Concordia Universities. And he described a situation recently where a student who was fully aware that they were enrolled at a conservative Lutheran university made a dramatic scene in class and threatened to leave the school because of the school's view on sexuality, the biblical view of human relationships in an introductory theology class. It can be so difficult to toe the line between our being faithful in our witness to the Christian faith and totally alienating ourselves from the rest of the world. This is why it is so miraculous when someone does come to faith. In fact, without the Holy Spirit working through the word, it is impossible for any of us to believe at all. This is summarized in our catechism. In the third article of the Apostles' Creed, we read, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in my Lord Jesus Christ or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. 
enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith in the same way that he calls, gathers, sanctifies, enlightens his whole Christian church on earth. It's classic Luther. I believe that I cannot believe. Without the help of God, our faith would be impossible. So if faith is solely the result of the Father's decree through the word of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, why do we spend so much time on gimmicks and trying to water down the message? If you water down the message, you might draw a huge crowd. But Jesus said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Why do we mess with gimmicks? Why do we water down the message? And I don't mean we as in St. John Bullhead, but I mean we as in American Christianity. There is not a single event or activity or marketing campaign or giveaway that can bring anyone to faith. Unless that is that it gets the gospel into their earballs. A wise man once told me, you keep them as you got them. In other words, if you bring people in with gimmicks, they'll stay so long as the gimmicks stay fresh. If you water down the message, they'll leave the second it gets difficult. If they come because you're entertaining them, if they get bored, they will be gone faster than the dork and hit them where the Lord split them. <laughs> but if the truth of God is what creates faith and sustains faith, then, dear friends, the 200-proof truth is all you're going to get here. And this tends to make things a little bit more difficult for Christians. Scripture calls us to live peaceably with all people. But it doesn't say anywhere that we're going to win any popularity contests. Jesus said, when the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. He doesn't say if the world hates you. He says when. No servant is above his master. As Americans, we like to think that someone making fun of our Christian bumper sticker qualifies as persecution. But it's not as bad as it could be. And I think that the uproar that we're facing today seems to stem from the fact that Christianity has occupied a place of unusual prominence in Western culture for quite a few centuries now, and it's starting to go away. In fact, the church and society seem to get along together so well for so long that the church grew accustomed to the favor of men. And did everything in its power to retain its cultural status and prestige. And without confusing the two, a reformation never would have been necessary. And Paul lays this out clearly in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Luther, commenting on this in a lecture July 17th of 1531, said... Neither do we seek to be complimented by men through my doctrine, since we teach that every human being is wicked by nature and a child of wrath. I'll put that on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. 
He says, we condemn in all human beings their free will, capability, wisdom, righteousness. We denounce all religions of human invention. In brief, we say that there is nothing in us that will equip us to merit the grace and forgiveness of sins. We preach that we obtain this grace only through the gracious mercy of God on account of Christ. Therefore, the heavens are telling the glory of God in his works, which condemn everyone in general with all of their works. This preaching attracts neither people's goodwill nor the world's. Neither can the world tolerate the voice that condemns its wisdom, righteousness, religion, and might. John says in our text that many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. You see, they're on board for the miracles and the signs and the wonders. They're there when there's free food, but not for the difficult truth. Jesus was saying these things in the synagogue at Capernaum. He's teaching them there. It's as if those listening were saying, we'll go ahead and stick with the manna from heaven back in Exodus. We don't want whatever it is you've got here in front of our face. The manna from heaven, says Jesus, is about him. And they reject that interpretation. They're rejecting Jesus as an interpreter of scripture. But who better to interpret scripture than the very word of God made flesh? So Jesus says, does this cause you offense? It's no innocent question. Jesus is saying that even the manna from heaven in Israel's exodus was simply pointing to a greater reality, which was him in his suffering and death. The cross and offense always go together. This is why Paul would later say the cross is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. Jesus even ups the ante. He says, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Would you take offense at that too? Would that cause you to stumble because that is exactly what you're going to see. And he says that the Spirit gives life, and the Spirit gives life precisely because the Spirit gives faith. And it is by faith alone that any of us can truly eat his flesh and drink his blood in the manner described here. His word is spirit and life, and only by faith can we receive it. Then Jesus' question to the twelve is just as fitting for us today as it was then. Do you want to go away as well? Do you get your proverbial BVDs in a bunch when you don't get your way? Do you resent some of the hard truths of Scripture and think that the church just needs to get with the times? Are you afraid that your allegiance to Jesus will cost you in terms of earthly status and prestige? Do you want to go away as well? Our answer and Peter's answer remain the same. Peter addresses Jesus as representative of the true Israel, the Israel who by faith has been born anew into God's kingdom. Peter addresses Jesus as Lord very intentionally. 
Jesus is not just any given rabbi. To walk away from Jesus would be to walk away from Israel's God. To whom shall we go? He acknowledges Jesus to be the true interpreter of Scripture. Peter speaks on behalf of the twelve, and he speaks on behalf of all of us who believe. We have come to believe and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now this title here, the Holy One of God, is a rare one. The only other voice in the New Testament that refers to Jesus as the Holy One of God is a demoniac. This is inside baseball we're talking about here. Insider trading. Martha Stewart would love it. The only way that anyone on earth would know this name of Jesus and refer to him as such would be to have it revealed to them. The demons know this truth, and they flee from Jesus in terror. The world hears this news and walks away in hatred and disbelief. The church receives this news joyfully. Jesus is the Holy One of God. We believe it, and we know it. So therefore, you who have come to believe and come to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God, you too receive everything that Jesus has promised to you. He says, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Whoever feeds on his flesh and drinks his blood has, present tense, eternal life. Whoever feeds on his flesh and drinks his blood has eternal life and will be raised up by Jesus on the last day. Not might be, not could be, will be raised up on the last day. You have eternal life, and Jesus will raise you up on the last day. Amen. Now may the peace of our God, which surpasses all of our human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Since you have come to know and believe that Jesus is the Holy One of God,